0: and follow BSL on Twitter. Twitter. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, And we have a very special episode here tonight as we release our preseason top 50 prospect list for the Baltimore Orioles farm system. It's become a twice annual tradition for us to release top 50 lists. This will be our first of 2023. And it is an interesting list showing why the Orioles are still ranked as one of the elite farm systems in baseball, even after the graduation of Adley Rutzman. Last year and just a couple of quick programming notes before we get started, you're going to hear the reports on tonight's episode and then full detailed written reports from Nick will be up on baltimoresportsandlife.com later this week. They should be up by Tuesday and then we actually had a chance to interview one of our top 50 prospects today in left-handed pitcher Cade Povitz that interview was pre-recorded and will be released In fact, already has been released to our Patreon community. So if you're not a patron yet, sign up and you'll get early access to that interview, which will go out on our main feed later this week. So we'll start now that we have that out of the way. We'll dive right into the top 50. And the way that we put this list together has been pretty consistent for the last few years. We each put together our own list. And then as Bob can explain, that goes into an aggregate which produces our top 50
2: yeah it's it's pretty pretty fun to put together and it we actually do it more than twice a year if you're a patron we do it during the season every month at the beginning of each month and you know there's not the massive movement that you'll see in between these bigger updates but it's fun to track as the season goes along and then we regroup in the off season but yeah we basically both both all three of us, <laughs> you don't use both when there's three people uh, put our top fifties together. And then your first place gets 50 points. Second place gets 49 points, so on and so forth, all the way down to your fiftieth player gets one point, add up the totals and, uh, and put them together. And I think it's a fun way to do it. And I'm all, I've been happy with it pretty much every time we've done it. So we'll continue to do so.
0: And as you'll hear tonight, we go further through the list. Often the differences are more towards the back two-thirds of the list rather than the very beginning. So plenty of interesting discussion coming up tonight. But I'm going to start with our number one prospects, and I think it comes as very little surprise that that is Gunnar Henderson, who had a massive 2022 season between AA, Bowie, and AAA, Norfolk in the minor leagues, to earn a promotion to the major leagues in late August, where he performed very well over the final month of the season. He now comes into the 2023 campaign, penciled in as the Orioles' starting third baseman and a Rookie of the Year frontrunner in the American League. Nick, I'll start with you here. Henderson, number one on our list, number one on most top 100 lists that have been released nationally this offseason. What kind of impact can he have right away for the Orioles? And if you're looking a little bit further ahead, is this a star in the making here?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, we've recorded so many different shows on different areas, so it's hard to keep track of like where I said what, but um, like yeah, Henderson, we've talked about before how like going into this past season, I mean, he was what 50 to the 100 range on top 100 list. Uh, and over the course of one season, he became like the clear cut number one prospect in all of baseball, uh, and now he made his major league debut at the age of 21 and now he's sitting over here and like you look at some of these projection systems which are you know blind projection systems it's not like dan Semborski is like i really like gunner i'm gonna he's gonna be a six war player next year because he's really good this is a blind projection system saying he could be a potential five f war player as a rookie i mean even if you look at some of the low-end projections it's he's a three war player which i mean even you don't see too many of those around baltimore over the last couple of years either so you know, he's, he's going to be a rookie. That's going to be his first year. I mean, teams are going to have a more complete book on him. He's facing the best pitchers the world has to offer, and you know they're going to learn how to attack his weaknesses. But I have all the faith that Gunnar's going to attack right back. Um, you know, he's just so young. He just barely turned 21 when he made his major league debut. You look at a lot of those numbers he put up in that small sample size in the major leagues, I mean, the barrel percentage, the hard hit rate, average exit velo, all of that just well above major league average and the speed. I don't think it's talked about enough is what 91st percentile in speed. Uh, yeah, it's, he, he's a, he's a special player. And I've said, I think we're kind of spoiled here with Adley and Gunner back to back, no more overall prospects. We're getting a little spoiled here in Baltimore and Jackson holiday, probably right behind him. But yeah, it's, it's sit back and enjoy the Gunner Henderson show this year. Cause this, this, this kid's legitimately a special talent.
2: Yeah, I want to personally thank Keith Law for not making it easy to just say unanimously the number one prospect in baseball. Thank you for that. Um, But just what a special explosive athlete, probably underrated in just how good of an athlete he is. I mean, like Nick said, the, the power, the speed, and the defense. He's got a cannon for an arm. He can pretty much do it all. Zips gives him five wins. I think the lowest was three and a half. I mean, that's insane for a guy who has... 114 major league at bats uh, to me. And the the chase rate is elite. Like he's, that's the part that it's beyond just being a good athlete. It's just, he's good at baseball naturally, just that chase rate, the swing decisions and how fast he's improved that. And he's not going to slow down anytime soon. We've said it before. He's he's like a the gym rat in basketball, but a, a baseball rat, I guess you would call it. Uh, he's just, constantly improving and who knows when it's going to stop he could be you know the next Manny Machado for Orioles fans uh guys that can play shortstop but mostly play third base or maybe even better I mean maybe he's a Corey Seager he's been comp to that a lot too but or maybe he's just going to be Gunnar Henderson and uh and surpass them all
0: the chase rate was a lot of where we saw Henderson improve this past season because I think after 2021 we were all three high on Henderson but We knew that there were swing and miss tendencies there. There were times where he could chase pitches out of the zone. That basically all went away this past season.
1: Yeah, and just, I mean, a lot of the weaknesses, and not even necessarily weaknesses, but question marks we had going into last season, right? Like the defense, there's no question about the range, getting to balls and making the throws. The arm strength is phenomenal but it was the arm accuracy. That was something that really stood out in 2021. And then 2022, that was something we were highlighting very early on in the year, how it was very clear and obvious that he had really cleaned that up. Uh, And that's carried him pretty far uh, defensively. Yeah. Just, you know, the strikeouts were an issue in 2021. How much is he going to strike out as he moves up levels? He gets the and He walked more than he struck out during his time at Bowie never faced. We, we struggled to find this number. (laughs) We were doing the Patreon show, but we found it at, in the minor leagues he never faced a single pitcher who was uh younger than him and look at the numbers he put up in Bowie and, and in Norfolk and yeah he, he's showcasing it in the major leagues now it's going to be more than likely a starting third baseman for the Baltimore Orioles on opening day and that's a, it's fantastic to see I remember I think we were talking about this earlier how I can't remember who wrote the article about the Orioles slow start in April last year like how did they correct that in 2023 well, you're going to have Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson on the roster so that's that's a big chunk right there in how you create a, a
0: better record in the month of April. Move on now to the rest of our top 10. At number two, we have right-handed pitcher Grayson Rodriguez, who wouldn't be on this list if not for a lat injury that cost him much of last season. He goes into spring training looking like a favorite to possibly capture a rotation spot and be on the opening day roster. At number three, uh, the prospect that Nick just mentioned is a possible number one overall prospect in the game. Down the line, Jackson Holliday, who was chosen first overall in last year's draft. At number four, outfielder Colton Calder, who played at three levels in his full season debut in 2022, topping out at AAA Norfolk. At number five, D.L. Hall, who finally got to the major leagues last year and looks like he could pitch his way into the Orioles pitching staff at the start of the year in 2023. At number six, third baseman Kobe Mayo who hit the ball well between high-A Aberdeen and double-A Bowie this past year and looks like he could be poised for a breakout, similar to Gunnar Henderson last year. At number seven, Jordan Westberg, who was the Orioles' minor league player of the year after a solid season at Bowie and Norfolk last year. And in most organizations, probably would be penciled in as an opening day uh, roster, with an opening day roster spot, but stuck a little bit right now because of infield depth with the Orioles. Right behind him at number eight is another infielder close to the major leagues. And that's Joey Ortiz, who was added to the 40 man roster after an offensive breakout in 2023. He did that while continuing to play an excellent defensive shortstop at number nine, Connor Norby who had one of the biggest breakout seasons at the plate of any Orioles minor leaguer in 2022 showing that the power stroke. He had started to develop towards the tail end of his college career could carry over to professional baseball. And at number 10, the 33rd overall pick in last year's draft, outfielder Dylan Beavers, who played at three levels for the Orioles last summer, starting out in the FCL before getting to low A Del Marva and then high A Aberdeen. And it looks like with some swing adjustments, Beavers could be a breakout candidate this season, similar to Calder and Norby a year ago. So, Bob, I'll start with you here. Clearly, in order to have an elite farm system, you got to have more than just a good number one overall prospect with the Orioles have in Henderson. Um, What do you think that this group says about the depth of the Orioles system at this point?
2: That it's ridiculous that it's uh, absurdly good at the upper levels of the minor leagues. I mean, let's just go through the list outside of Jackson holiday and Dylan Beavers. These guys are all, most of them are triple a or the majors and maybe with Kobe Mayo double a But these guys are banging on the door. They're all right there on the cusp of not only making their major league debuts, but being like significant contributors to a team that expects to contend for a playoff spot uh, right out of the gate. So, And even Holiday and Beavers, they could potentially move quick and end the season in AAA as well. As ridiculous as that sounds for 19-year-old Jackson Holiday, who we've talked about before, might be a guy that we're just underrating, which is unusual for us because... Usually we're on top of these things, a little bit ahead of the national media, but they might they might have us on this one. Um, just absurd depth, and even, as you'll see as we go beyond that, it's just continues all the way down the list. Um, pretty rich in infield prospects. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. So, you know, already traded a very talented guy in Daryl Hernase, who we liked as well. And, it, I mean, I hate to say it because he's really good, but... Don't really miss a beat, even with uh, getting getting him out of the system. They're still overcrowded, and infielders could probably trade one or two more if they needed to and still be fine. So, yeah, a good problem to have is a lot of depth, quality depth at the top of the minor leagues, ready to fill in when they're needed. And that could be as soon as 2023.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the key here with this top 10 that you just mentioned here on our list like seven of them are either in the majors or in triple a like that's that's absurd and how many look at jackson holiday at number three Like you replace adley with gunner Gunner's going to graduate from this list probably fairly soon uh, and then we'll slide grayson rodriguez up to the number one spot ideally i think we're all hoping that grayson rodriguez makes the opening day roster so he's not long for this list and we're going to slide jackson holiday up there at number one and you know i again i'm not familiar with other organizations and their list and, and top prospects and such don't follow them as closely as I do the Orioles, but in how many other organizations is Jackson holiday, the number one prospect in that system? I mean, probably a, a good chunk of them. Uh, so it, that's really cool to see. And yeah, like you mentioned, Kobe Mayo could be knocking on the door of the major leagues by the end of the season. I think if he has that true breakout year that we, he hasn't really had yet, you know, some of that's been injuries, uh, you know, adjustments, early season struggles, but as he's learning and developing, but at the same time, it's like, he's what 21. I mean, he's extremely young for the double a level and showed good signs when he was healthy. You know, he had the back spasms as soon as he got promoted. So, I mean, that's, you're trying to make what's arguably the biggest jump in the minor leagues and you get back spasms and and miss a week or so of games. Um, So yeah, it's just how young he is. Jackson holiday could be what 19 years old and knocking on the door, triple a, maybe even in AAA, 19, 20 years old, just absurd. And Dylan Beaver's there at number 10. I, I know a lot of other people have said this, but I I tend to agree that Dylan Beaver's I look at as a big wild card among this top 10 group. Like, he could fizzle out, and maybe the swings just you know doesn't correct itself. You know the Orioles can't get more out of that swing, and, and he struggles against you know more advanced pitching. Like he gets a wall in Double A, but at the same time, the ceiling is like enormous uh, with Dylan Beavers, and I love the note. And Baseball America released their top thirty today, and I think all those reports were written by a uh, good friend, John Mioli, and he mentioned as soon as Beavers was drafted and came into the organization, the Orioles started tinkering with his swing, and you look at the numbers he put up in, in Delmarva. Uh, both and even ended the year in Aberdeen, but I have gotta pull them up here real quick. We talk a lot about uh, Jackson Holiday and his K, strikeout, and walk numbers when, in Delmarva. Like Dylan Beavers only needed. Let's this website will load here. Um, with Dylan Beavers, when he got to the FCL, it was only what three games, four games? Let's see, three games, nine at bats in the FCL. Gets promoted to Delmarva, sixteen games. He had more walks and strikeouts: twelve walks, eleven strikeouts. Hit 359 with a 999 OPS. So they made some tinkering with a swing already. And look at those numbers he put up. Uh, so I imagine a full offseason, more tinkering, more adjustments, starts back at high A. He probably has a very Colton cowser S path next year. Like there might be some early struggles. We might be sitting here a month into the season and people are asking, what's wrong with Dylan Beavers? Why isn't he hitting? Beaver's problem? <laughs> Why is he striking out so much? Well, because Aberdeen sucks to hit in, first of all. Uh, and he's, They're overhauling his swing a little bit. Uh, So, yeah, he's he's adjusting, but he takes off, has a couple good weeks. He's in AA. Next thing you know, he's in the year in AAA in his first full year in Pro Bowl. So, yeah, among that top 10, I think Beaver's is the wild card where wide range of outcomes, but the ceiling is just enormous. He could be a a top five prospect in the system by the end of the year.
2: Yeah, completely agree. And (laughs) just another of a million examples of why this player development system has just completely overhauled what we're used to as Oriole fans and kind of leads the way, especially on the hitting side, is that I think you could say Dylan Beavers could not have been drafted by a better organization that could improve his skills and capitalize and maximize his uh, his talent. So probably us and the Dodgers, I would say. Um, but, you know, he's going he's gonna to get the best uh, path that he could get. And I agree, he could be a real breakout this year.
0: Those are good points, and I definitely want to bring up more about Beavers in a moment, Um, but I want to focus for a minute on the three infielders that right now look like they're going to end up at AAA, and that's Ortiz, Westberg, and Norby. Westberg, in particular, looks like a guy who should be major league ready. Ortiz and Norby probably aren't terribly far behind him at this rate, yet it doesn't seem like there's room for any of those three in Baltimore anytime soon, barring an injury or a trade sometime in spring training. So... I'll just start with uh Nick here. What do you think they have to do? Any of those three have to do to get to the major leagues this year um within say the first half of the season?
1: Let's see, Norby's gotta learn first base, left field, right field, uh <laughs> catcher. Um no like Norby, I think just improved the defense. So we know we know the bat's legit. We know he made real changes to his swing, you know, the hand placement, toe tapping, I mean, all the things that that's been written about Connor Norby and that swing adjustment. And now you've got national media, those in the industry uh, on the national side of things saying like, yeah, that power is legit. He could very well be a 25 plus home run guy in the major leagues. Uh, Even with that wall, we know most of that power that he generates is center field, right? Center power. Uh, So I think it's going to be a lot of defense. He's going to be mashing the ball again. And Bring up the uh, trigger trigger word warning here, uh, Jemai Jones. Uh, that you're going to hear about the defense with Connor Norby, right? I imagine uh, Joey Ortiz just man, like the the changes were just first half to second half, not even first half to second half. But when that switch was flipped for Joey Ortiz last year, and it was like, yeah, he, he wasn't putting up like the high exit velos. He was struggling to to make good contact, and then it just switched for him. And Ortiz starts knocking the ball out of the ballpark, high exit velos. The bat's legit. Uh, Keep showing that against major league pitching here in spring training. We know the glove is going to play at the major league level. Um, If the Orioles needed a shortstop tomorrow, Joey Ortiz can fill in there. It's just to stay consistent with the bat. And Westberg, that's a million dollar question. What does Jordan Westberg have to do to get to the major leagues? I think he is who he is, right? Like he's just stay consistent. He had some extended slumps last year, but. He's also been a guy who I don't think gets talked about for the improvements that he's made along the way as he's risen up through the ranks as well, especially on the power aspect of things. Him and Connor Norby were battling it out for the organizational lead and home runs down in the minors until the last week of the season. Westbrook's a really solid player. It's just nothing I think – he doesn't really have that flashy tool that stands out. He just does everything really well uh, and solid, so – learn the outfield, I guess, for Jordan Westberg and hope, you know, something happens where you can uh, crack your way into the top 26.
2: Yeah, that was a very, very good answer. Um, Basically, I'd say just keep doing what you're doing and and stay healthy because you never know when an injury or a trade might happen and your opportunity comes. But yeah, I, I agree with Westberg. It's about consistency. Try to at least shorten the slumps and I don't know, lengthen the hot streaks. That doesn't make sense, but just shorten those slumps a little bit, try to be a little more consistent Ortiz. just prove that you can keep that momentum going from last year over the course of off season. And that it's like, you really understand what you were doing, right. And that you can continue to do that Uh, early in 2023 Norby. Yeah. Like you said, just continue to tighten up that defense as much as possible. You know, maybe he gets a little time in left field. Seriously. I don't know, but, um, yeah, there's not enough space for all of them but any one of them could make a contribution at any point with the the wrong step on a base these bases are huge now so anything could happen uh, just stay healthy and continue to do what they did last year and continue that development
0: we haven't really talked much about colton Calser yet. we kind of touched on kobe mayo and jackson holiday earlier um Calser, I think. he. Last year, there was a little bit of an overreaction to some of the early struggles with the strikeouts. Um, The strikeout rate was higher than I think any of us would have expected. But at the same time, he was hitting for more power. Uh, As a result, he was hitting for more power. So where do you think the balance sort of lives between Kowser hitting for more power, but hopefully lowering strikeouts a little bit this season?
2: I love Nick's answer on this. Who cares if he strikes out 30% of the time? He's got like a 400 on base percentage and had 57 extra base hits or whatever it was. So, yeah, I mean, that's part of the today's game. Like, yeah, he might strike out, but it's not for like limiting his other skills in any way. He still hit really well, had a really good average, amazing on base percentage. He doesn't chase the ball. He knows what his pitch is and He's going to take his walks. He actually has power. I don't think the power is even in question at this point. I mean, he's got it. He's got it. Plenty of power, especially if he can stick in center field. And I think that's really what it all comes down to is, is he going to be able to be at least average center fielder in the major leagues? But even if he's not, I mean, he's going to be maybe not a a star player, but he's going to be like a Nick Markakis who's just like a steady Eddie out there in a corner outfield, get on base, you know, hit for a little bit of power, just do a little bit of everything, kind of like Westberg, just be really solid at everything, except his one carrying tool is that one base skill. So yeah, not worried about Kowser at all, whether he strikes out 50% of the time, if he's going to get on base 40%, that still works out pretty well.
1: Yeah, just the strikeouts just are mind numbing comments. Um, like there are some strikeout issues with the guys for sure, but I, I don't think it's there with Kauser. Like. Maybe that was part of the issue too last year, right? It's as he's trying to settle in and adjust to higher level pitching, maybe that's of you know, that struggle of what what am I? Who am I? Right? Am I what works best for me? Do I tap into more of that power and become, you know, start pulling the ball and shooting for you know the warehouse when I get up to the major leagues? Or like honestly, if Colton Kowser, if he doesn't stick in center field and he's just a, a solid, you know, above average corner outfielder he's got a good arm he's he's smooth out there he's got good speed that's another I think he he doesn't look like he's very like fast and athletic right but you know just like Gunner I think the speed and athleticism are pretty underrated with Kowser. and so okay what if he is just uh, a slightly above average corner outfielder who maybe he he scraps the power and he's you know 10 to 15 home runs a year But again, he's getting on base at a 380 clip and he's hitting 270, 280 with, you know, 40 plus doubles or something ridiculous. Like, what if he's that type of hitter? I I mean, I'm fine with that. He doesn't have to be a 30 plus home run hitter uh, who hits, you know, 330. I I think Kowser's on on the right path. And if the Orioles felt like there were any issues with the strikeouts or anything like that, he wouldn't have ended the year in AAA like he did. I feel like they would have kept him in AA. You probably would have kept him in Aberdeen longer. Uh, to be honest, before moving him up to Bowie and not really giving him that time to finish in Triple A, But, yeah, I, I just think the, it's the fact that, you know, again, like Westberg, Cowzard's, you know, maybe there's nothing really super sexy about his gameplay. That just pops. It's like the Kobe Mayo power, the Joey Ortiz glove. But it's just solid to average to above average tools across the board. And he
0: just goes out there and does his job every single night. Before we move on from the top 10, any final thoughts on this group?
2: Joey Ortiz, I mean, get ready to watch him play defense, guys. I mean, if you haven't watched him significantly uh, enough in the minor leagues, like he'll wow you at least two or three times a week with his glove. He's just so smooth, so good out there. And then he's going to just slap an opposite field home run as well over the scoreboard in right field. So I think he's going to be a fan favorite almost immediately just because of his style of play, if nothing else. So just want to give him one more shout-out here on this top ten.
1: I got to just say D.L. Hall. I, I know he's got a lot of non-believers, but man, I, I am there. I want to see it. I love the fact that, you know, he he wants to prove everybody wrong, that he can be a starter. Uh, and, you know, you look at some of the numbers when he was in the majors, it was only 13.2 innings. And that's the thing here, too. It was a 13 inning sample size. He didn't throw a baseball for what, seven, eight months the year before. Gets the spring training with the Orioles, starts the season a little bit late, works his way up to AAA, finally gets that promotion to the big leagues. I'm sure he was exhausted. The arm just it wasn't there for him 100% by the end of this season after that super long layoff. He's fully healthy. You look at some of the more advanced numbers like, oh, he had a, what, a, five, almost a 5.93 ERA in the majors, but he had a 1.65 FIP. I mean, just absurd numbers. He still struck out 30% of guys that he faced in the major leagues. So yeah, I, I just, I hope he gets that opportunity to start. I want to see it. And you know, if he doesn't end up being a starter and he is a high leverage power reliever out there in the bullpen, he's going to be a pretty darn good one. Uh, and, and that's a win. That's a player development success story for DL Hall right there.
0: Completely agree. I'll just build off of that to say that I think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be a very good starting pitcher in 2023. And you'll start to see signs of possible budding ace Down the line, I think Kobe Mayo is going to break out this year. Big power from third base, and I really am interested to see if he sees more action in right field this year, because to me that could be a sign of what the Orioles are planning for him. Short-term and long-term, and then Jackson Holiday, I think it's very possible, if not likely, that he's the number one prospect in all of baseball at the end of this year. You have a shortstop who has a strong hit tool, excellent eye to play great strike zone judgment that is well beyond his 19 years of age so definitely looking forward to a full season of him in the minor leagues move on now to the 11 to 19 range and at number 11 we have the former number two overall pick in the game heston kerstad who has come finally saw professional action last year after recovering from myocarditis and then a hamstring injury that held him back to begin the 2022 season He rebounded from a sluggish run at Aberdeen to hit well for the Ironbirds during the South Atlantic League postseason and carried that momentum over to the Arizona Fall League, where he won the league's MVP award. At number 12, Seth Johnson, who will most likely miss all of the 2023 season after undergoing Tommy John surgery last year. But consensus is that he could be the best starting pitching prospect in this system behind Rodriguez and Hall. At number 13, Judd Fabian, a pick out of the University of Florida in last year's draft, who plays a very strong center field and shows some positive signs of development at the plate over his half season in the Orioles' farm system. At number 14, Cade Povitz, the guy who we might have underrated a little bit, uh, depending on your perspective. He seems poised for a breakout in 2023, a left-hander with multiple pitches in his arsenal that allow him to get hitters out. Right behind him at number 15, Drew Rom, who is new to the 40-man roster this offseason. One of the steadiest pitchers in the Orioles' farm system. The left-hander should be a AAA Norfolk to start next year. Number 16, Samuel Bisayo. We're looking forward to this catcher possibly making his full-season debut at Delmarva this year, where Purdue Stadium's right-field wall might look a lot shorter than it has in the past. Number 17, Outfielder Hudson Haskin had a very solid all-around season for Bowie last year. Should be at Norfolk this year. Number 18, Chase McDermott, who was acquired as part of the three-team deal, has sent Trey Mancini to the Astros. And while Johnson was a headline prospect that came back in that deal, McDermott is healthy, looked fairly solid last summer, and looks like he could break out if he can build a repertoire to go around a very good fastball. And at number 19, the Orioles' latest prize acquisition off the international free agent market, shortstop Luis Almeida. Almeida has a different background, which we'll get into in a minute. He was actually born in the U.S., but then moved to the Dominican Republic a few years ago. So he is perhaps more advanced than most international prospects his age, but time will tell. I'm going to start with what I think is really an interesting discussion to be had with this section of the list. We have Dylan Beaver's 10th. Heston Kurstad 11th, Judd Fabian 13th. All are outfielders with undeniable raw power, but have some questions about their hit tools. Um, Fabian, to a particular extent, because he had struggled at Florida, Kurstad was always kind of labeled as the three true outcomes guy to Arkansas, and Beavers, as we talked about earlier, um, real potential, but has some issues with his swing that the Orioles are probably going to try to iron out. And in fact, I've already started to do that. So as you were putting your personal list together, how did you distinguish these guys? And I'll start with Bob on this.
2: Yeah, that is that is a good question. Uh, and Hudson Haskin, a little bit different of a player, but he's in this mix as well in this range. Probably might be one of our more underrated guys and even maybe by the Orioles since he didn't get the invite to uh, spring training, which was a little surprising. But uh, for me, I first I compared... Beavers to Kerstad directly and I just had to put Beavers ahead of him just because I feel like if you unlock all the potential there then he could be and apparently he can play center field pretty decently as well even though he profiles more better in a in a corner I just feel like if they both hit their peak Beavers is going to be the better player out of those two so I put him a little bit ahead of him and then Fabian Man, you couldn't ask for a better start to a professional career, especially for a guy who at one point was like one of the best draft prospects in the game, had a disappointing season, tumbled, gets drafted by the Red Sox, didn't sign, can't blame anyone for not signing with the Red Sox, goes back, works on his game, and then gets to the team that uh, he was destined to go to with the Orioles and and just absolutely mashed the ball. And it's going to be fun to see if he can pick up where he left off uh, in high a Aberdeen in 2023 and really just he could be another guy that just skyrockets up this list a little bit if he continues to do what he did at the end of 2022 and yeah I don't know between the three of them yeah I guess you just hope at least one of them can uh, continue their player development system all the way up to the major leagues and and one of them those three outfielders can uh, make it long term and maybe one of the other ones could be a big trade piece for a pitcher or something at some point.
1: I had on my personal list, I had Dylan Beavers nine and I had Judd Fabian at 11, one spot ahead of Kerstad at 12. Uh, I I love Judd Fabian's game. I think I had Beavers higher again, just because of that. Yeah, just everything that we've heard about Beavers is the potential is just so sky high that I had to put him up a little bit higher. But Judd Fabian, like you talk about the numbers that he put up, just literal video game numbers that he put up there. and. Like I had some other numbers. I think I did Judd Fabian in our uh, Patreon countdown, and I searched all through like the Judd Fabian Twitter talk, and it's usually just uh, Mason McRae for anyone, to, the draft <laughs> lovers out there who follow him on Twitter, uh, Judd Fabian Truther, if you will. I mean, he's just got some – he put out some just unbelievable crazy numbers from Judd Fabian as a pro, uh, his 1322 OPS in Delmarva was the highest OPS in that league among hitters with more than 50 plate appearances since 2006. He had some of the highest like weighted on base average among the 2022 draft class improved on everything. The end zone whiff rates, WOBA all the expected stats uh, did not swing at pitches outside of the zone. He saw 61 pitches out of the strike zone, swung at just three of them. And one of them was a home run. I mean, you preaching elite swing decisions like Judd Fabian is doing that. Uh, It was so easy for him in low A. They had to push him up to high A. And, of course, it was like six games, and he hit like one-something. But you turn the heat on in the playoffs, the high playoffs for Aberdeen. He hit two home runs and hit like 330, 340 uh, in the playoffs for Aberdeen. So he's off to a great start. Yeah, you want to see can he still hit for a high average? Can the hit tool be there against more advanced pitching? But, again, it's going to be the same thing. If he strikes out, if he's striking out 27 28% of the time, but he's hitting for a little bit higher average and he's getting on base and he's doing damage. Don't worry about the strikeouts right now uh, with Judd Fabian. You know, Kirstad, it was just, honestly, I feel like we've been saying this for a long time, just get healthy, just get on the field. And he did that last year, finally. Had to wait a little bit longer because he had the hamstring injury, but he got on the field, mashed the ball on Delmarva, uh, which was fantastic to see. Hey, we got comments a lot, too, about, well, of course he should be putting up those numbers against you know, low-A pitching. He hadn't played since early 2019. And we're talking about tw- almost three years later before he actually played professional baseball. Uh gets promoted to Aberdeen where he did struggle, and we've pointed out the numbers, the splits there. I don't have them off the top of my head there, but when he had that little, that little outburst out there in the field that we all saw, uh, his numbers before outburst and post-outburst were very different. So he clearly was settling in against high-A pitching. I think a full season, um, if he would have had more time, you would have saw a a much better Kerstad, which you saw in the Arizona Fall League. You saw him continue that trend, and he had a huge AFL MVP performance. Hopefully that carries over into Bowie, and we start to see a little bit more of that power come out in that uh,
2: friendly stadium up there. Trust me, not everybody can be good (laughs) post-outburst.
0: When I was you know, thinking about this sex on the list, what separated Beavers from Kerstad and Fabian for me, and I think that both of you touched on it, the ceiling when you look at these three players is arguably the highest with Beavers. And I could argue right now the Hit Tool is a little bit further ahead of Fabian and maybe a little bit further ahead of Kurstad. We'll see if Kurstad's AFL success carries over to Bowie this year. But, and then the fact that, you know, Kerstad's probably going to be a corner guy, whereas Beavers, I think, could slot in center field in an emergency as another separator. And I just think he'll be a better overall defender. I will say, though, that it's entirely possible that Judd Fabian has the highest ceiling in this group because there's not really any doubt he can stick in center field. That's been pretty consistent going back to, you know, when he was seen as a potential top five prospect going into the 2021 season as a guy that could go into the first five, 10 picks of the draft. Then he had a down season at the plate. But even after that, no one was doubting that he could stick in center field. No one really questions the defense with Fabian. So that's one factor I would keep an eye on here is that if the hit tool does develop, you're looking at a guy who can stick in center field and has true power at the plate. Is
1: this you know last year's conversation and debate the question that I hated so much of who has the higher floor and who has the higher ceiling between Norby Prieto and uh, was was it Vavra uh, is this that conversation this year between yes, us the two? Yes,
2: <laughs> It absolutely <Yep>. is.
1: <laughs> I mean, what are they then? I mean, F, who's got the high? We kind of talked about the ceiling and floor there. I I'd say again this is another tough one that I really hate. I, I'm still going to stick with Beavers as the highest ceiling, and I might say.
2: This is, I think it's a
1: tough one. I don't even know if there's a writer on wrong Fabian answer. has
2: the highest floor just because, yeah. I mean, even if he just, his defense 20 with Pops home run power and can play center field, I mean, that's valuable in itself. I agree with that.
0: Yeah, Fabian has the, the highest floor, and then I think the highest ceiling is probably, it's close between Beavers and Fabian. It really is, just because of what Fabian could do on defense. And I do want to say that I think Kerstad's floor is actually pretty high itself because left-handed power bat that could maybe move between outfield, first base, and D8s has some value. But the floor probably is higher with Fabian because of the defense.
2: It'll be fun to track all season long. And, you know, there's a chance they could all be playing in Bowie together or maybe even Norfolk together at the end of the season. So, funny outfield to watch and a uh, nice friendly competition like we've had for with gunner and jordan and joey and all the these guys uh in the years prior
0: i want to talk about samuel Basayo for a minute because he's the guy that's probably going to be the lowest or outside of Alme- almeida almeida besayo is going to be the guy that's probably the lowest in the farm system in terms of where he starts out this season because we're probably looking at him going to delmar but he's going to have to split time behind the plate with creed willows But it's interesting how the perception on Basayo seems to have evolved over the last year or so. He hit well in the Dominican Summer League, but I guess there were not enough eyes on him for a lot of national evaluators to decipher whether or not he was just a big teenager who could hit the ball hard against other teenagers versus an actual prospect. And then last year at the FCL, he continued to hit, but then seemed to be kind of raising a little bit more um, discussion defensively about whether or not he could stick a catcher, whereas nobody last year really seemed to be talking about that. It was, well, it seemed to hit enough to be a first base or a D eight down the line. Now it's, could he actually stick a catcher? Because he has a good arm back there. So if everything else could develop, it's not conventional, but it might work for someone who's probably going to be as big as Pasayo is in a few years to be behind the plate. I just think... <laughs>
2: He's a real prospect. Um, And, yeah, I mean, the fact that it's even a question that he could stick a catcher, that to me is, like, surprising because I I was one of the ones that was like, all right, first base DH type, is he going to be our uh, Jordan Alvarez? Can he hit 40 home runs a year, basically, to uh, be that level of prospect at that position? But he can stick a catcher. He doesn't need to do much to be like uh, Mike Zunino and make it up as a power-hidden guy who can – throw some runners out as well, especially with the robot umps coming uh, down the line, maybe in a, in a couple of years. So yeah, Basio is certainly one to watch. And even if he is in Delmarva all year long, it's going to be exciting. And God, he can hit what, like 25 home runs this year <laughs> in the minor leagues. And yeah, it's going to be fun.
1: I mean, he's what, 18 years old and that's it. He's already got two seasons, one in the DSL, one in the FCL under his belt already. So 18, he'll be in Delmarva to start the year. I think from a personality talking about fun aspect, Creed Willems and Sammy Basayo, like I, I would pay to be in that clubhouse on a nightly basis because I imagine there's not going to be a single boring night in that Delmarva clubhouse with those two guys. Uh, we've seen their personalities really shine through uh, and the power, like just, the power of both those kids is absolutely insane. But, yeah, Basayo, and if he can stick behind catcher, there's a good point about the robot umps coming. So that's one aspect of his game he didn't have to worry about. So if he can just stay athletic enough behind the plate, keep that arm strength up so he can steal base, get the base runners, because we know that's, you know, if these bigger bases, and we don't need to get into that conversation, but if that does lead to more stolen bases or whatever, uh, and you need a quicker arm behind the plate, if Basayo can be effective back there and stick, like, you don't need the hit tool to come around. a ton right he can if he's only hitting you know 220 230 like that's okay because he's going to have that immense raw power and i mean just absurd a third uh, according to his baseball america write-up a third of the balls he put in play were over 95 miles an hour in the fcl last season so yeah he doesn't strike out a ton he walks at a good clip Uh, i think this kid every national outlet has been on the sammy basayo hype train over the last few weeks and I think now that more people are actually going to be able to see him and get their own eyes on him, uh, it's only going to it's only going to keep rising as he, especially if he comes out hot at the beginning of the year for Marva.
2: Yeah, and I, one last thing about this uh, range of players, I feel like the pitchers deserve a nod between Seth Johnson, Cade Povich, Drew Rahm, and Chase McDermott. I mean, obviously Johnson will be out all year with the injury, but he's still got great upside. Drew Rahm could make his major league debut, but the two guys we got in the trade, Povich, who. We talked to earlier today and could really explode. Maybe Kylie McDaniel is going to be like the, the forerunner here and everyone's going to follow along and get him up into their top 100 as well. But between him and Chase McDermott, I'm really excited to see what these guys can do after a full offseason with the Orioles pitching uh, development. And McDermott especially, actually, just, man, he strikes out so many batters. If he can get himself a little more under control, he could be a serious.
1: I like yeah Povich I mean he's got what, the fastball that he can run up to at 96 97 miles an hour I mean he throws a slider he's got the curve he's got the change he's got the cutter he's got five different pitches that he throws I just think that he's had this full off season now working with the Orioles instructors he knows he's going to go back to Bowie to start the year with you know a wide open path in front of him I think that's going to help him a, a ton uh, and he really improves next year in Bowie and McDermott yeah I mean it was like 34 what are the numbers here um 35% of batters he struck out in high A. When it goes up to Bowie, he strikes out 31.3% of batters. Yeah, he does walk a lot of guys, but the curveball is it is a 12-6 curveball that just dives down. The fastball we've talked about plenty of times, it, it gets to the plate and literally explodes uh, towards the hitter. It's it's such a fun repertoire to watch. You know, Honestly, I'm fine if they they're going to keep him stretched out as a starter for right now. But man, I'm perfectly fine with moving him to the bullpen and say, let it rip, throw it hundred miles an hour, throw that breaker down in there and like, just do your thing. I think Chase McDermott can be that guy. And he's, he's definitely uh, an underrated arm in the system that people are just going to look right to the walks, scars of DL Hall. I don't know, but they're going to look right at that and say, yeah, he's, he's nothing. That's, that's false. This kid is stuff is some of the best in the entire organization.
0: I'll just add this, and I've said this repeatedly over the years, and I'll say, and hopefully, this is the last time, that he's eligible as a prospect on a preseason list. But don't sleep on Drew Rom because you think that the fastball reminds you of Zach Lothar or Kevin Smith. Yeah, it's not you know upper nineties, but it's a good quality pitch. He knows how to move it around the zone. He knows how to get outs with it. He's you know just I think he will go to Triple A this year, and like he has at every other level that he's been to he'll settle in against much older competition and he'll just find ways to get guys out. And it's not going to be in that Alexander Wells where the fastball has to be in the exact right spot every single time, or it's going to go over the fence. It's going to be that Rom can some nights not have the fastball working, but have the secondaries there and get ground balls. So don't sleep on drew Rom just because he's not throwing 95 miles an hour. Um, I get the feeling that by Memorial Day, people might be asking why Drew Rahm's not in the rotation at the major league level, especially when he has that 40-man roster spot. We'll jump in now to the 20 through 29 section on the list. Number 20, John Rhodes, an outfielder who hit very well at Aberdeen last year, despite some injuries. Uh, Didn't quite hit as well at Bowie, but still reason to believe that he could be in line for a nice 2023 season. Max Wagner, a breakout pick out of Clemson in last year's draft, who, after a standout spring, was chosen by the Orioles and ended up in Aberdeen with the likes of Dylan Beers and Judd Fabian from last year's draft class. At number 22, Reed Trimble, an outfielder from the 2021 draft class who missed most of last year with an injury but was solid upon his return and could be an interesting breakout candidate this year. At number 23, Frederick Ben Cosme, hashtag legendary a young infielder with some of the best bat-to-ball skills in this farm system. At number 24, Gene Pinto, still a favorite here at On the Verge. Walks were up a little bit at Aberdeen last year, but again, going up against older, more advanced competition, Pinto could be flat-out dominant some nights. At number 25, Cesar Prieto, who was signed up by the Orioles out of Cuba last year. Good bat-to-ball skills, but the question are. Will the power and the on-base skills develop enough for him to carve out a role at the major league level? At number 26, Carter Ballmer does stay healthy. Because when Ballmer was briefly on the mound last year, he looks like he could be one of the best pitching prospects in the Orioles' farm system. At number 27, one of the best breakout stories of last season, Noah DeNoyer, who pits his way onto a 40-man roster spot and should start this season at A Norfolk, where he could be joined by the number 28 prospect on the list, Dustin Armbruster. He's not Dustin Orga guy. This is a right-handed pitcher with a starter's repertoire who built on making very big strides in 2022. And at number 29, Leandro Arias, a young infielder who made his professional debut in the Dominican Summer League last year. Good batted ball data and shows an early ability to perhaps stick at shortstop, making him an interesting prospect in a farm system that – is reflective of the Orioles' broadening weeks in the international market under Michael Elias and Toby Perez. I'm just going to throw this out in question, this question out in general about this group. It feels like if there's someone that we look at in three or four months and like, wow, that guy was down here and now he's all the way up here on the list, it's probably somewhere in this range because it's either going to be that someone like Ben Cosme or Wagner takes what they did last year and builds on it and is even better or it's going to be a road or a trimble finally getting a healthy extended run in professional baseball and making the most of it or it's going to be that one of these pitchers really steps up and has a big year
2: yeah i think you're a thousand percent right on that and yeah these this is like the realm of where your breakout picks could really come from this year i mean ben cosme he can just add a little bit of strength and he's got the frame to do it if he can add some good weight man a kid is just a natural he can hit walks you think for like someone who just likes to hit the ball and can pretty much hit it wherever it's pitched pitched almost like an Ichiro type you'd think he would have a low walk rate no he he's got a really good walk rate he doesn't strike out he's super fun to watch I think just add a little bit of strength enough to get him like 10-15 home runs in a season I mean this kid is going to be really good and flying up this list and i mean we were talking about it a little bit before but noah denoyer's right up in the baseball america top 30 was just glowing and i think what it said like all of his pitches went up a full grade from the year prior i mean the the Orgas loved him from the very beginning when they signed him as a free agent and he might be right up there uh, as a mid to low rotation guy i mean for undrafted free agent after 40 rounds, that's incredible and and his his ceilings through the roof. And John Rhodes, we, uh, we've we been talking about him as a breakout candidate for a while. Looked like it was gonna happen last year, then he got hurt. And unfortunately it didn't, but this could be the year. So yeah, and I know I'll let Nick talk about some of his favorites on here too, because there are some. But, uh, and Gene Pinto, I think uh, the renaissance is, it's it's time, he, he let uh, everyone catch up to where we were with him, and now it's like Rocket Brewster's. I think he's going to make it to A Norfolk this year. Yeah.
1: The thing with Pinto, like, honestly, it, I think it's just the age. Like, yeah, all right. If the fastball isn't, you know, a plus fastball, right? He's got the slider is there. I honestly think that it's, uh, I think I wrote this up in his little blurb we got coming out that Gene Pinto needs like a reverse pitch clock, one that like slows him down. Cause I just think, there's some times where he just moves way too fast, and you're like, "Dude, take a breath, like just breathe." Like I don't even know if he's breathing out there in the mound sometimes, and it seems to get away from him. And you saw that a lot too, where you had Forrest Herman, the pitching coach down there in Aberdeen last year, now with Bowie, you saw this a couple of times where he would go out there on the mound, Pinto, the you know the control would get away from him. Forrest Herman would go out there, say something to him, and then Pinto would rock. Two innings, two and a half innings, and get finished the inning, the outing pretty strong. Yeah, he was like almost what, two, three years younger than the competition in Aberdeen last year. Still a young kid, uh, still good upside there. I loved, you mentioned the Noah Denoyer thing on Baseball America. I loved the write up. It was a, yeah, and it was the Orioles measurement, how they measure pitch quality based on movement and command. He said every single one of Denoyer's pitches jumped a full grade this season. And he had a 17.4% swinging strike rate on the season, which put him in elite company in the Orioles system. Uh, you know, I think he spent the fall in the Arizona Fall League getting some of the innings back because he missed was like a sore elbow or something that caused him to miss some time last year. I, I think that helped. And I think what we read was there was a lot of working on the secondaries, getting more comfortable with those uh, in the Arizona Fall League. So instance where like, you don't have to worry about the Arizona Fall League numbers because he's working on something specific out there. I think he's in the major leagues without a doubt by the end of this season. Um, already on the forty man for sure. Reed Trimble's my guy. I've talked a lot about him recently. I hope he has a breakout. I think it's there. I think you reading his kind of draft reports and the fact that he missed so much time with a so- shoulder surgery. Uh, you would I would expect you know, bigger strikeout numbers from Reed Trimble, but they just weren't there. Uh, Really with uh, Del Marva, and he settled in fairly quickly down there. But yeah, I feel like the wild card in this group continued that trend. I guess uh, would probably be Max Wagner. I feel like he's the guy I know the least amount among this group. I watched him a little bit last year, obviously in Del Marva, and he got a taste of Aberdeen too at the end of the year. But just whatever it is, I don't know what it was about him, but he was just someone that I didn't really pay a ton of attention to after the draft. And even when he was in Del Marva, you know, you're so excited by Fabian and, and Beavers and everybody else. Max Wagner kind of went overlooked, but you know, the power's legit. I think the defense, by all accounts, is legit over at third base. I'm excited to see what he can do in high A because, yeah, he could very well be that guy who we re ranked this at the end of the year. He's a top 15 prospect in the system.
0: And you know, Wagner is an interesting guy because he comes from a cold weather state in Wisconsin, so there was not much coming out on him coming out of high school. He goes to Clemson his first year there as he's a defensive replacement. And he looks like he was going to have that role again at the start of last season. Then all of a sudden he gets more playing time. He starts to hit, he unlocks this power. So there is definite upside there. And you kind of like the formula of power hitter with good defense at third base is a good base to start from. You just have to see how raw he is because he didn't have a ton of time at Clemson. Um, As I mentioned, came from a cold weather state. So in theory, he might be slightly behind in his development, but at the same time, the tools are there that if it clicks, I think you're easily looking at the top 15, top 12 guy in this farm system next year.
2: Yeah, he's this year's John Rhodes for me. Like, like Nick said, for whatever reason, just did not stick out in a meaningful way in the short time that he got after the draft, but is a guy that clearly was taken where he was for a reason, and like you said, he's a little bit raw because he didn't have much time in college. So get him in the system, let this uh, player development team cook, and uh, see where he comes out.
1: I want to highlight Armbrusher again, too, real quick, just because I feel like yeah, that just Justin guy comment from Keith Law after he watched, like, the three pitches of his in the first week of the season, it's, just, it's unbelievable. Like, it's whatever. I'm going to. Take a breath. Uh, Justin Armbruster, some of the things coming out of the draft you heard uh, from you. Know, if he can develop a, a slider, improve the slider, maybe you look at his size. Maybe he's a guy who is a fastball slider reliever. You put him in the bullpen, he can move up the ranks pretty quickly. The slider did improve. Uh, he's got the cutter, the changeup. Now, a lot of it is can he add a changeup to that repertoire and really establish himself as a starting pitching prospect in the system? And I think when we interviewed him a couple weeks ago, he he brought that up himself. He said, yeah, I've been working on that change up a lot. Uh, So to add that to the mix. So if he adds that, that's another weapon. And you just look, he was good in Aberdeen. I mean, fine, 12 starts, an ERA of four, a lot of strikeouts, really no walks, but he got promoted to Bowie and 63 innings, a 3.69 ERA, 63 strikeouts to just 16 walks, a whip of 1.03. He took another step forward in Bowie. If he's working on the changeup, working on the secondaries this soft season, there's another gear there when he starts in Norfolk. I think this Justin Armbruster is, is a real uh, sleeper in this organization on the pitching side of things.
0: Completely agree. Mm-hmm. And that trend that we saw last year is reverse of what you would expect because Aberdeen plays so much better to pitchers than Bowie does. That Armbruster was actually better, not just at a higher level, but at a more hitter-friendly park at Bowie really says something. And, you know, he was a great interview when he was on – back in December, talking about, he was very honest, I think, in his scouting report of himself, talking about how he needs to work on that changeup and get better against lefties. If he's able to do that this year, he's a big league starter. I don't doubt that. He has the repertoire there. It's just a matter of can he build it enough and round it out enough that he can go through a lineup multiple times against advanced hitters. That's really what it comes down to. me.
2: And it's so easy to see why Keith law wrote him off because he's got a fastball that sits like 92, 94. So of course it's like, Oh, well, let's just write him off. But he's got that hop that the Orioles love and he it plays up in the zone despite the velocity. So combine, combine that with, uh, I mean, how many people, how many pitchers have we talked to where it's like working on changeup, working on changeup <laughs> Orioles do what they do. They develop changeups and, uh, you know, Brewster is just another one, and I do I think he, it, along with Denoyer and a guy we're going to talk about very soon, Ryan Watson, uh, these guys have a chance in uh, AAA to really make a name for themselves. Maybe it'll be old school; where they come up working a bullpen role this year, but long term, rotation options.
0: I think that's a perfect segue to go to thirty to thirty-nine on the list, and that starts with Ryan Watson, who. After pitching primarily as a reliever at Auburn and then when he first joined the Orioles system, moved into a starter's role last year and was successful, ending the season in AAA Norfolk and earning Orioles Minor League Pitcher of the Year honors. Right behind him at number 31 is Carter Young, a shortstop out of Vanderbilt with a lot of tools but plenty of question marks about whether or not he's going to hit professional-level pitching. Right behind him at number 32 is Davy Cruz, a young left-hander who broke out with a big season at Del Marva last year, and looks like he could move even higher up the list if he can refine his command in 2023. Then there's Braylon Tavera at number 34. Tavera was the headline acquisition of the 2022 Orioles International Free Agency class, showed a lot of promises to play last season in a Dominican Summer League. Then there is Carlos Tavera at number 35, a high upside pitcher who was successful at times in Aberdeen last year, and with more consistency, could find another gear this season. Kyle Bronovitz in number 36. This time last year, Bronovitz looked like he could possibly pitch his way into the Orioles' rotation. However, just a few starts into the season, he got john surgery. We're hoping that he will be back some point during the summer this year. Right behind him is Zach Peek, who was having a very good season at A Bowie. Looks like he could possibly be protected on the 40-man roster before he himself suffered an elbow injury over the summer that resulted in Tommy John surgery. Bronovitz and Peek, by the way, were both part of the trade that sent Dylan Bundy to the Angels before the 2020 season. At number 38, Chris Valamont, who the Orioles picked up off waivers last year from the Twins. Vallemont had struggled with his command as a starter at AA Witsitata Twins. However, he reversed that immediately upon joining the Orioles' system. And while he had more ups and downs at AAA Norfolk, That leaves some question marks about whether or not he can get past triple-A hitting. The stuff is good enough to believe that the Orioles could find another gear. At number 38, Michael Hernandez, the shortstop for the Orioles signed a few years ago as an international free agent. He has struggled in his first two seasons of pro ball at the plate. We're hoping that he can get back on the track offensively this coming season. And number 39, Misael Deson daystone was a breakout guy in 2021 who made his full season debut at Del Marva last year however struggled at the plate despite that you hear from a lot of people who saw the storebirds consistently including sam Zelnik, who was the voice of the storebirds last year and his former teammate daryl hernese that daystone may have been the best player on the storebirds last year he just couldn't get the results consistently going at the plate so when I look at this list, I see pitchers that – or this section of the list. I see a few pitchers that have injury concerns but undeniable upside in Bronovic and Peak. guys that seem like they're poised for a breakout in Cruz, Watson, and Tavera, some questions offensively with Hernandez and Desone, and then guys who may fall into more of that wildcard spot all being on different ends of the spectrum in Tavera and Valamont. Valamont being the guy that has been successful at points – in the upper minor leagues, but he did lose a 40-man roster spot over the offseason, didn't have the best results at Norfolk. Tavera, meanwhile, hit well in the Dominican Summer League last year, but he's an outfielder, and there seems to be question marks at this point about whether or not he's going to stick in center field long term. And kind of like Basayo last year, it just doesn't seem like there are enough eyes on him yet to draw conclusions about who he is as a player. And then you have Carter Young, who I'm going to touch on in a minute because I think the tools are interesting, but the results just haven't been there for him yet. So, looking at this section of the list, I'll start with Nick. What stands out?
1: I actually really love this section of the list, probably the most uh, as far as the minor league nerd out alert uh, goes, just because you've got the young guys. Yeah, like Deson and Hernandez. And Carter Young and Braylon Tavera, all those guys, Davy Cruz even with though they're in the mix, but actually scratch Davy Cruz. Carter Young, Braylon Tavera, Michael Hernandez, Michel Deson, they're younger guys that have either age-wise or in Carter Young's case just haven't been in the organization for very long. A lot of question marks, a lot of struggles, but enormous upsides. Now, I did have Michael Hernandez as, like, number 47 on my personal list. Uh, I'm pretty down on him, uh, to be completely honest, but you look at his age and... You know, the, the scanner report on him coming out of the international signing period a couple of years ago, I'm going to give him another year to see what he can do. Dayson as well. We've just heard so many glowing reports about Dayson and his abilities, and you see it. When you see him out there on the field, you see this breakout. I've mentioned this before, waiting and then it's just nothing. It's just disappointment. So I'm going to give him one more year. I do think if Dayson's not hitting by the time the draft rolls around, though, uh, he's going to get all those draft picks because we know the Orioles are going to fill their draft board with sec and big 12 outfielders. And they're going to take a spot on the roster, but there's a lot of potential there um, to too, but the pitchers I mean, like Ryan Watson, Carlos Tavera Cogbron or Zach peak. It's unfortunate. We won't see Zach peak this year. He's he's become a kind of a, a cult following for the Zach peak fans for good reason. Like he was showing in Bowie that he was a legitimate starting pitching prospect. I think, um, he was making a lot of good gains, good ground balls, getting out of jams, struggles like first, second inning, but then cruising for three or four innings. Uh, lights out the rest of the way. Unfortunately, we won't get to see him. Branovich probably at what, midseason before we see him back on the mound. But somewhere in there, you're going to see one of these guys break out. Is it Ryan Watson? I, I don't know where to, to kind of project him because he's he throws four or five pitches. He throws hard. He's what, 95, 96, and he can hold that velo. He works deep into the games. He holds his velo, but I also feel like he's just got this, you know, that bulldog mentality where I'm going to throw 98 and you hit right down the middle, hit it. And if you do it great, but I, I'm coming for you. He's got that closer mentality. I feel like on the mound. Uh, so I feel like he could go either way. And when you look at the starting rotation competition in big league camp versus what the triple A rotation could look like. Drew Rahm, DeNoyer, Armbruster. I don't, is there going to be room for Ryan Watson in that A rotation. I don't know how they're going to work that out, but he could be the big breakout guy. And Tavera, Tavera is my breakout guy uh, for the last year. And it was interesting in Baseball America's report that it wasn't an injury that uh, sidelined him that ended the season last year. It was a non, non-baseball medical issue is all they said. So don't want to speculate there, but I think... Bob said it best. that it's kind of almost like a, a better sign that it's not an injury. He seems healthy. I think he's healthy and he's ready to go for a spring training. So that's good. Uh, but it wasn't an elbow. It's not a shoulder or anything like that. Ridiculous strikeout numbers in high last year. He's going to be back with force Herman and double a somewhere in this group. You see the true breakout, the guy who is pushing top 15 status by the end of the year. I think
2: yeah that's a great rundown um for me, it's all about the pitchers in this group, and like you said, with Carlos Tavera, I mean, as long as the the non baseball thing is not serious, then yeah, I mean you'd rather him miss time for something he can get taken care of versus an arm injury for a pitcher um but yeah, I mean, so many breakout potentials here in the on the pitching side between Ryan Watson, and davy cruz I mean this is a very, very young kid with an electric arm throwing left-handed heat and some pretty sick breaking stuff it's again uh can he get that command together can he get some control we shall see but um i think it's going to be fun to watch uh him and a bunch of other international pitchers as they rise up through the ranks these guys have some electric stuff it's just can they harness it can they put it all together and Davy cruz is going to be like one of the first prime examples i feel like um Tavera mentioned like he would have been a breakout pitcher last year along the lines of arm and watson for me if if he would have been able to stay healthy i feel like he was on the cusp of getting promoted to double a and then there's issues popped up but it just didn't happen between branovich and peak i mean still high on these guys i mean tommy john surgery not what it used to be they'll be back they'll be all right um and they still have that same potential maybe just you will be a little bit older when they finally get the chance, than when we thought they would be. But Valmont, we know we're, we've been pretty high on him despite the lack of results. But he's got really good stuff, and again, it's just about that command. Uh, as far as the hitters go here, I'm it's just like they're too young to really even know what to make of them. But Carter Young, felt like he had a pretty good showing once he was drafted last year, better than I expected with Del Marva uh, in the FCL and Braylon Tavera. Michael Hernandez, Michelle DeSoon, let's, let's get you stateside. Let's see what you can do with some, some more playing time and, and more time to develop physically and just skills-wise. So be interesting to follow at the very least.
0: Yeah, Young's an interesting case because he went to Vanderbilt with really good reports on his defense at shortstop. And the question was whether or not the bat was going to develop. He hit well in the pandemic, short in 2020 season. Then in 2021, the goal was for him to hit for more power. He initially showed that, then started to slip a little bit. Strikeouts started to pile up. He had a shoulder issue. And then after that shoulder issue, he never quite got back on track at the plate his whole time at Vanderbilt. He was actually going to transfer to LSU before the Orioles basically came into the 11th hour before the draft signing deadline last summer and managed to get him for $1.3 million bonus. I think with him, there's you know the base is really interesting because it's a switch hitter who has versatility, who can stick at shortstop. He's got the arm and the range for the position. And at his best at the plate, shows a patient eye with some power. So I would imagine that where the Orioles go in his development this year is really going to be that focus on swing decisions. And he's a guy, even though he's coming from an advanced program at Vanderbilt, I don't mind him spending a few months at Delmarva because it feels like if you could really focus on that with him, where you know, you would maybe be going up against pitching that is worse than you faced in the SEC last year, but laying off some pitches that are outside the zone, learning how to drive the pitches you can hit. I think those are the really the areas that the Orioles are going to and should focus on with Young. And it's also a matter of getting at bats. And when you look at how Aberdeen's infield is going to stack up early next season, Frederick Ben Cosme is going to be there. Max Wagner is probably going to be there. Adam Crampton of good defensive shortstop they took last year. could be there. There's a possibility that Jackson holiday does not go back to Del Marva, which case he's in Aberdeen. So young needs regular playing time, regular at bats to work on these things. And then I think you could start to really talk about him this time next year as someone whose floor is as a pretty nice utility guy to major league level yeah
1: i just 1.3 million dollar signing bonus 17th round draft pick i get it was after i think that was already after nolan McLean situation kind of fell apart right and i don't think there were any glowing like this could be a trouble sign with McLean when the Orioles made that pick. It sounds like, I don't know if we ever heard for certain, but it sounds like it was something that came up kind of late in the process there. But I mean, Carter young got the what fourth highest signing bonus in that draft class behind holiday Dylan Beavers and Max Wagner. He got more than Judd Fabian. Like sure. It was probably an issue of, there's a lot of money left over. Uh, We got to use it. But at the same time, like, I feel like that says what this organization, how this organization views Carter young you talk about the he chases a lot he's got swing and miss in his game this organization preaches swing decisions you look at what judd fabian did look at what dylan beavers did if they can get that with carter young just a little bit uh then yeah that glove's going to help carry him the glove's going to carry him up through the ranks regardless it's going to be like uh, like caden Grenier vibes if he doesn't hit you've got a caden Grenier system right it's strikeouts are high doesn't hit for high average but plays a really good defense and I think that's a valuable player to have at the AAA level in case of emergencies. But if you can just get a little bit more of that hit tool, he becomes that much more valuable for you in this organization.
2: Yeah. It tells me that they, they know, obviously they know the issue that he had and they feel like they can help him with it and they've proven that they can with other guys. So why not give it a shot, see how it goes. If not, I mean, I'm never going to be mad at this organization throwing money around uh, to try to get some more talent in here. You know, if they're not going to do it at the major league level, might as well do it in the draft and, and get some guys in here and let the, let the player development do their thing and see if it works. Jumping
0: now to the last part of this list, which is prospects 40 through 50. And this is a pretty interesting group, some young arms as well as some pitchers that were waiting on them to get healthy, have a breakout. And then an interesting mix of bats between Guys that profile right now as pretty nice reserve options at the Major League level that are close to Major League ready versus young hitters who could break out. Number 40 is right-handed pitcher Trey Sprite, who the Orioles draft out of Auburn last year. And number 41 is Dante Williams, a good defensive outfielder that the Orioles took in the 2021 draft out of Arizona. Williams had up and down numbers at the plate last year at Aberdeen, but finished strong in the limited run at the end of the season at A Bowie. Right behind him at number 42 is Anderson De Los Santos, who some national outlets are pretty high on coming into this season. We expect him to be in Del Marva's infield on opening day. At number 43, Maverick Hanley, who should have a shot at AAA this year and with an excellent glove behind the plate, combined with some improvements offensively last year, starting to look more and more like the candidate to be Adley Rutschman's future backup in the major league level. Behind him is Juan De Los Santos, a young pitcher that the Orioles had some success with at Del Marva last year, generally one of the more consistent hurlers on the Swordbird staff last year. Right behind him is Ron Rojas, who the Orioles acquired from the Twins in the Jorge Lopez trade.
2: Uh, behind him is right-handed pitcher Brandon Young coming off of shoulder injury. Um uh, after he could have been a breakout potential in 2022 prior to the injury. Behind that is Aaron Estrada, a uh, guy who has only played in the Dominican Summer League, but, man, just seems like he can really rack up the hits. He's got the the skills there. Uh, it's just a matter if he can continue that. And then we got Isaac DeLeon, third base, first base type prospect. Was a shortstop at one point, seems to outgrown the competition uh, – the the position – uh, he walked a million times in the first half and then started swinging in the second half and really started to break out. And then number 50, who entered the list after Daryl Hernandez was traded to the Oakland Athletics, it's catcher Silas Ardwan enters the list at number 50 to round things out. And another similar to Maverick Hanley, he's a great defensive catcher and has got some potential offensively to at least be a backup catcher at the major league level.
0: Start to discuss it here and then I'm back from my technical difficulties. Um, I want to start with Aaron Estrada because I think that he's such an interesting guy because we really don't know that much about him. Um, but if you want to look at it, we've talked earlier in the show about elite bat-to-ball skills with Frederick Ben-Cosme. Based on the numbers that we saw at the Dominican Summer League last year, Estrada fits that profile. He hit the ball all over the place uh basically never struck out walked a lot and a little bit of video that we have on him it looks like he's got a pretty nice stroke from both sides of the plate as a switch hitter so estrada is you know we've thrown around the term wild card a lot tonight estrada is the ultimate wild card um he might really you know move up some national lists next year and get more attention if he can go to the fcl and so the same skills that he did at the plate this past summer in the DSL. So as you guys were putting together this list, how did you you know, basically consider Estrada? It was,
1: it was tough for me just because i him 44 on my list, so a little bit higher. But it's tough just because, again, being the DSL guys, and I, I honestly would say this from the top, there are probably a few other DSL kids that we are completely missing on. And we just either haven't gotten enough information yet. We obviously haven't seen them. We, I think, all love to be down in the DR for a couple of weeks, watching and learning. But it, it's tough. It's a lot tougher to rank those kids, and they'll emerge on this list when as they climb up the ranks. Estrada, though, I mean, he's five eight, second baseman. Sounds like second base only type deal. Maybe some outfield. Not super speedy, but just the extreme. Extremely good bat to ball skills. He had a 483 on base percentage and more walks and strikeouts in the DSO. I would almost imagine if he's the type of guy who maybe pulls a Ben Cosme next year. And because you know, he's going to be in Sarasota, they're going to be in extended camp, they're going to be scrimmaging and getting time. And so, like last year, we saw Ben Cosme and uh, or Creed Willems come up to Del Marva really early on, I think before the FCL season started. I almost wonder if Estrada could be one of those guys as well. He spends like a week in the FCL, and he just did so well in extended camp. They're like, we're gonna get you to Del Marva and see what you can do. Challenge you there. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. But it, he looks fun. He looks exciting.
2: Yeah, I was gonna make that same exact point and just continue the similarities between Ben Cosme and Estrada. In that, you know, neither one was like a big time signing. Neither one got the the headlines, and you don't even know how much they signed for because it wasn't significant but both of them seem to have the same skill set where it's not a ton of power but just can hit the ball like crazy, aren't going to strike out, can walk. They're infielders like so similar and yeah, I could see him just developing enough from last year to this in extended spring training and just impressing the the team enough where they're like, "Okay, you're you're super young, but we're just we're going to take you right to Del Marva cuz we think you're too good for the FCL at this point." So yeah, I could definitely see Estrada being this year's Ben Cosme, and that is never a bad thing. In fact, it's pretty legendary.
0: I had um, Estrada 49th on my list. I actually had Edwin Amparo ahead of him because I liked Amparo's all-around profile a little bit better because it seems like is a little stronger. There's a feeling that he could stick at shortstop. Um, but Estrada, there's undeniable... undeniable intrigue there because the -the bat-to-ball skills are so good and the Orioles have shown that they can work with those kind of players. So it does give you reason to believe that there's more in the tank there. There could be another gear to Estrada as he debuts stateside this year. Looking at the rest of this group, it feels like you have some breakout arms here as well. And, Nick, I'll let you start with this. Who kind of stands out here? Do you see more of a possibility where – Maybe it is a Juan Rojas or a Juan de los Santos or a Trace Bright that takes that step forward, or possibly Brandon Young hopefully gets healthy this season's back on the mound and shows us why this time last year we were talking about him as a possible back end starter at the major league level.
1: I would love for Brandon Young to be healthy again and back with the mile. One of my favorite prospects in this entire system. But, you know, Trace Bright's a name that I think the organization has thrown out a lot over the offseason is someone they seem pretty high on. So I'm interested to watch him more. It seems like a lot of that data that we don't have access to is uh, really, really good on Trace Bright. So I think he's an interesting arm to watch. He's like 6'4 SEC arm. I mean, workhorse type starting pitcher. Uh, we'll see. I my guy is still Juan De Los Santos. I, I don't know why he caught my eye so early last year. And I mean, he was like I believe, if not the first, one of the very first international signings by Kobe Perez. He was. They used kind of that leftover money at the end of that J two period to bring him in. And he was twenty years old last year in Del Marva, throwing ninety eight miles an hour, good slider, just dominated Lowe with the fastball early on, and the numbers were really good. And we talked to Sam Jelanek about this. He was throwing like what, like 90 something percent fastball through those first couple starts. And he dominated because he's a big, powerful guy. But then you saw the numbers. If you break, if you look at his breakdown by month, the numbers just balloon for like two months, but that's correlates to when he was starting to mix in his secondary pitches more often. And then the final month or so of the season, the numbers went way back down and they looked really respectable. And then I think they ended up shutting him down for the year because he had reached his innings limit. So I think he's could be 20, 21 years old, starting in Aberdeen next year and you know, kind of taking off. That's my guy. And I think we've got a, a couple of people who have said in the past, like they think Juan Rojas and Juan Nunez were kind of the highlights of that Jorge Lopez trade. Yep, I, I had Juan Nunez at 48 on my list and Juan Rojas 45. He cracked Rojas was the one who cracked our ultimate top 50 here, but Two young, really intriguing arms that I still can't believe. I figured you get both those guys for Jorge Lopez, but Cade Povich, Yenier Cano, and then these two wild cards, like if one of them breaks out, we didn't really see Rojas, but the numbers in the FCL were you know, strikeout to walk numbers are fantastic.
2: Yeah, there's just a lot of players I absolutely love in this section. Trey Sprite, I feel like is going to be this year's Justin Armbruster, Ryan Watson, Noah Denoyer, who just... Carlos Tavera before he, he got shut down a little bit. I feel like he's just going to be a guy that's like a name that Orioles fans will will know by the time the season is even halfway over. I just think he's going to going to really shine this year. I've seen a lot of positive reports. Dante Williams, I mean, I feel like he was playing hurt most of the year and was just sticking it out, and that's admirable. But it didn't do too well for just the overall stat line, but – Hopefully, he got a chance to get healthy over the offseason. I think that's going to be a big, big season for him to really show what he can do. Uh, Anderson Daler-Santos is a guy, he was like the Aaron Estrada before Aaron Estrada, where it was like, dang, this guy's numbers are, are really good. And he backed it up with some pretty good stuff in the FCL. I feel like he got a little bit unlucky, but reportedly hit the ball hit the ball very hard consistently. So, excited to see him make it up to full season ball. And I think Vivek put a comment here, uh, left side of the infield potentially in, in Delmarva of Anderson, Taylor Santos and Jackson holiday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Please sign me up for that. Um, yeah. Juan Daler Santos, Juan Rojas. Again, these, like I was talking about with David Cruz, these young international arms that just have all the potential in the world. And let's see what they can do. And did we put the right Juan at the bottom of this list? Could it have been Juan Nunez instead? That'll be fun to watch as well. And Isaac DeLeon, I've I've been a fan for a while. I just loved the way that his walk rate was ridiculous. And then oh wait, I can swing the bat. And then he starts hitting for power, starts hitting the ball with more authority. The walk rate came down, strikeouts went up a tiny bit, but it just improved the the overall production. And I just I just like seeing that storyline. Uh just you can see the learning process with him as the season went on. So I'm gonna see I'm interested to see how that continues into twenty twenty three.
0: Rojas is a guy that really interests me because he's, as Nick said, really good strikeout to walk numbers in the FCL last year. And I think we're going to look at that for hitters. We probably should look at it for pitchers too, because it shows that, you know, he's got a pretty good feel for his pitches at this point. Fastball touching 93. He can mix that in with a mix of secondaries that frankly feels like it's right up the Orioles alley, slider, cutter, chains up. So if you want to look at a guy, the Orioles really could develop. I think it's Rojas and I'm anxious to see what he's going to do with an extended run at Del Marva. And then Dante Williams is the epitome of a high floor outfielder because he can play all three positions. He runs well and he's got a really good eye at the plate. Just as you said, Bob, um, I don't think he was fully healthy last year and there were some pretty bad stretches in there for him at the plate. But if he, you know, If that was part of the problem last year and he can be a little bit more consistent with better health this year, he's a really nice guy to have in the organization. and Frankly, someone I could see in the big leagues one day because plays all three outfield positions. Well, he doesn't give it away, give away at bats and he's got a good arm.
1: He walked 15% of the time in high A, which is kind of a crazy number and uh, he, he did get the bump up to double a the for the final series for Bowie but I think that was another uh you know, COVID issues that broke out in Bowie so they needed they needed bodies to move up at the last second and Dante Williams was one of those it wasn't because he was like great in high a he got promoted but uh he still played what three games hit a home run in his first at bat I believe in double a and walked four times struck out just twice in those three games so you know Maybe even though he was hurt most of the year, maybe he starts next year in Double uh, A. Yeah, I, I would just also want to note the catchers. Uh, my love for these backup defensive first catchers. Um, you know, Maverick Hanley. Like the offense emerged last year, and he went. The, the strikeouts went from thirty percent strikeout rate in Aberdeen down to a twenty percent strikeout rate last year in Bowie. Three fifty-two on base percentage. He maintained that same eleven percent walk rate from High A to Double A. 114 WRC plus across 78 games. I just think if that bat continues to stay on that same trajectory and plays well in AAA, yeah, 100%, this guy is, is a big leader. I still think regardless, he's going to be around Major League Baseball game for a very long time. And I think looking at the, the back end of this list, I would say Silas Arduan might be really underrated on this list. I think he probably ends the year much higher because it seems like a lot of people around the industry – strongly believe that he is going to have also have a very long career in the major leagues as a backup catcher. And if the bat comes around and the hit tool comes around, he could be a major league starter uh, because the defense is that good. His dad was a catcher for the Orioles for a brief amount of time, Danny Ardoan. So he's got that blood in him. I I think Silas Ardoan looking at this list, honestly, that's a big name to watch. And we saw what was like his first nine or 10 plate appearances of his career were walks. Uh, like move over Anthony Ceridio, There There's a new walkout in town, and it was Silas Herduan. So if the bat comes around, and if you like catchers who are fantastic defenders, you got two of them down here.
2: If you like wacky, insane videos that include Maverick Hanley hitting a monster home run, apparently, <laughs> then uh, you can find that on Instagram, I think, right now.
0: Oh, that's a good point, Nick. I wanted to bring this up, which is that nationally it feels like it's more – like a lot of national evaluators are geared towards our Ar- arduan over hanley uh yet we have hanley higher overall on our list and i correct me if i'm wrong but i think all three of us on our individual list put hanley above Ardwan. yeah
1: i had a hanley 41 arduan 46. i wanted to put arduan a little bit higher but yeah I, I maybe it's like the shiny new toy thing right like hanley's been around for so long. He had so many injuries and just hasn't really been able to play a full, full season. I think last year, however many games I just said he played in Bowie last year was the most he's played across the full season, I think. And so, yeah, the offensive numbers weren't great in the lower levels of the minor leagues. And so maybe if you're looking at park factors and you say, oh, Bowie's a hitter's park, some people might dismiss some of Hanley's offensive production last year, but I don't think it was just park factors. I think those are legitimate gains he made in the bat and you look at uh, this this guy his defensive abilities are just off the charts so yeah i think he is legitimately you know rightfully where he's on our top 50 i think he belongs there and like i said he's going to have a long major league career as well but you know, arduan might just be cuz he's a shiny new toy out of texas and you know jim Cowles really hyped him up i remember in the draft program is saying like yeah he's he's the top defensive catcher in this entire draft class so of course they're probably going to put him up a little bit higher in the ranks i think he's top 30 on most outlets right now other than like baseball America.
2: Yeah. I mean, Hanley, I just feel like you can see the improvements. And like you said, maybe a little bit of the power with is because of the ballpark. But yeah. I just feel like you can see that he, he is making improvements there and clearly the defense is never in question. And how about the Steals? I mean he's got twenty stolen bases as a catcher with only five caught stealing. <laughs> It's not too bad. He's got some, got some wheels. He can pick them off and he can steal them at the same time.
0: Yeah. I went with Hanley because I just feel like he's hitting upper levels pitching well enough to make you think he can be a backup catcher at the major league level. Whereas Ardwan, it sort of feels like you're hoping that what he did his last year at Texas carries over a pro ball. So I felt like there was a little bit more certainty with the bat from Hanley's side than there was Ardwan, but, I don't think there's much separation between the two right now. And you can make the argument that, you know, Ardwan's going to be far ahead of Hanley uh, within a few months or that Hanley's going to get to the major leagues first. They both have similar profiles, similar ceilings. I would also, I also wonder too, if Hanley is penalized a little bit because he was in the same draft class and in the same conference as Adley Ruxman. Um, so he maybe didn't get the platitudes for his defense that Arduan got at Texas.
1: He was still co-defensive player of the year in the Pac-12 with Adley. I mean, they, talk about getting a, some strong defense up the middle. I think the Orioles really cleaned up that market
0: uh, in that draft class. So we've uh, covered a lot tonight going through this top 50 prospect list. You've heard us discuss Pretty much every player in some form tonight but you will be able to access full reports at baltimoresportsinlife.com this week this week we'll have scouting reports on all 50 players who made our list before we wrap up tonight um any final thoughts nick or bob
2: yeah i got some thoughts that will continue next week when we talk about players that just missed the top 50 and some guys that are you know in that 50 to 100 range or i don't know 50 to 75 whatever you want to say there's still a bunch of guys outside of this top 50 that have a ton of potential. that could be in the top 30 this time next year. So just continues to speak to the depth of the system. And, and yet Vivek mentioning, uh, Adam retzback, another, uh, catching prospect in this system, uh, as long as with, uh, Connor Pavolone, I mean, guys that can really do something behind the plate, you know, it's a tough position to field, especially offensively, but the Orioles have, have focused on that position. And yeah, just, Looking forward to next week as well as we continue this conversation.
1: Yeah, this was uh, this year's list. I think was a lot more fun to put together and not saying the last couple of years that we've done this weren't, but just the influx of more talent makes this harder list to put together. The rise of the international talent makes it even more difficult. So it's fun. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, deep, dive detailed science here that we're doing it's it's our you know fun opinions here but you know we watch a lot of games we talk to a lot of people and i think this is a pretty solid list um and you know, looking at the back end of that list as well uh, i'm just we'll talk about him next week i'm sure because he was on my top 50 and i don't think either of you had him on your top 50 but uh, we're going to talk about alfred vega breakout next week stay tuned because he was on my top 50 and you guys robbed him of that
2: apologies (laughs) <laughs> to the vega family <laughs> no yeah i'm I'm excited to watch him pitches here as well for sure
1: lots lots of bubba hit the nail on the head though. a lot of guys outside this top 50 though that i think deserve to have a conversation next week
0: and that's a perfect incentive to tune in next week when we will delve into the best of the rest, the players who received top 50 votes from the three of us but ultimately missed the cut i think bob's list now is up to like a personal top 300 or something so maybe he could share some insight from that with us. Uh, we will be on a special time and night next week. We're going to be on Sunday night. We're expecting to start at 8 p.m., but check in on Twitter at BSL and the Birds for exact details uh, before next week. So We will be on Sunday night next week rather than our normal Monday night. Between now and next week's show, check out baltimoresportsandlife.com where you'll not only find the top 50 prospects list, but plenty of coverage of the Orioles, college basketball, and more. And while you're there, hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors to BSL and join our Patreon community. Uh, you can sign up for as little as three dollars a month. Bonus content is being rolled out consistently as the season approaches. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we have an interview with Cade Povitz that is currently available exclusively to patrons. So if you sign up for Patreon now, You can get immediate access to that interview. For those who uh, are going to hold out on joining our Patreon community, the interview will be out on our main feed later this week, so you want to check in for that. Uh, For Bob Phil and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spud, and you've been listening to On The Verge.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
2: That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.